everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome back to the Disney Movie Marathon. Today is the first in a three-part miniseries looking at the next film in the Disney canon, 1950's Cinderella, as well as the live-action remake and both of its direct-to-video sequels. Joining you for these episodes are Rachel Wagner and Eli Sanza. We're all big Disney fans and we love Disney history, so we had a lot of fun talking about these four films. Today's episode covers the original 1950 film, so let's just get right into it. So I guess to start with, we could talk about, do you remember the first time that you saw this movie? Uh, I I mean, it was probably when I was a toddler. I, so I don't remember the first time I've, I've seen Cinderella my whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, kind of the same for me because I, I had a lot of Disney movies on VHS growing up as a kid and Cinderella was one of the ones we owned and we watched that one a lot. We watched all of them a lot, but Cinderella was one of them. Mm. And it was one of the earliest ones we got. It was like Bambi was the first movie I owned. Uh, like, like they got me like that when I was a baby, that was my Christmas present was Bambi on VHS. So that was like the first movie I ever watched. And I think Cinderella was like the second second mm. video we ever got after that. So it was, I don't remember the first time I ever watched it, but I know, I just like Rachel, I know I was like probably a toddler. Yeah, I don't really remember the first time I watched it either. I, th- I was older for sure because I don't remember watching it as a young kid. I have a feeling we borrowed it from the library because that's how we watched pretty much everything when we were kids. We didn't own very many VHS tapes. And I know we didn't own this one, and my cousins didn't own this one, so I'm pretty sure we just borrowed it from the library. So I don't think this is one that we watched a lot, but I remember watching it a few times as a kid and always liking it. But I don't think I had seen it since I was a kid until now. So it was semi-fresh Get it when I watched it for the podcast. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I love Cinderella. When I first started my YouTube channel, one of the first things I did was I did a whole series on different versions of Cinderella. Uh, I did Slipper in the Rose and mm. of course the Disney Cinderella. This was leading up to the the new, you know, live action, but uh, the, the, um, the glass mm-hmm. slipper with Leslie Crone. I've reviewed on my channel, a uh, Christmas I'm not Christmas, a Cinderella story, uh, a lot of different versions of Cinderella. I just love, love the story. So ever after. Yeah, there are, mm-hmm. there are so many ever after. I think I probably, that's probably my quintessential Cinderella. Cause I'm sure I watched ever after a lot more than I watched mm-hmm. the Disney one. Cause I, I don't think we personally owned it, but I think we had a friend that owned it. And she lived next door for several years, and we yeah. watched it a bunch with her. And then I watched that one later on in life, too. It's like the thinking man's Cinderella. It's, you know, there's all this talk about philosophy, <laughs> and they, the big date uh, is at, at a library mm. that's this gorgeous outdoor library. Like, <laughs> well, not outdoor, but it's like in nature. I never saw that movie. Is that like a. Fairy tale, or is it like yeah. take place in modern times? No, it's it's in the past, but okay, it's not magical. 
It's inventions. Yeah, they have the Da Vinci being her fairy godmother. And it is pretty good. It's got Drew Barrymore and uh, Angelica Houston uh, is the uh, evil stepmother. She's really good in it. It's, it's a fun one. Okay, it sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you'd like it. Yeah. And Slipper in the Rose is really fun, too. That has a whole bunch of Sherman Brothers songs, which are charming, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's an underrated one. Yeah, if it's, if it's got Sherman Brothers, it's that's you sold me already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd like it. It's funny. And they have I, I would say it's it's a pretty empowered Cinderella in it. Well, OK, I guess that that is a topic that we could talk about the empowered Cinderella. That's one of the criticisms that always gets leveled against this movie is how she's just too passive. But I don't think that's entirely true, especially watching it now. To me, it's like, what else could she do? Like, the the position that she's in, that she's found herself in, especially at the time that she lived, how how else could she have been more empowered? That's, everybody wants her to be more empowered, but how without completely going outside of the point in history in which she has found herself. Yeah. Well, and I, I definitely push back on people who say, Oh, she, uh, she just need to be rescued by a man. And I don't think that's true. I mean, she gets her dress made. She has, and she's not looking for this to be a rescue. She's just, she's just trying to have a, mm-hmm. like a fun night away from her, tro- from her troubles. Yeah, I think people assume that she's like Snow White thinking someday my prince will come. Right. And that's not her at all. She She's not even thinking about a prince. She's not thinking about finding someone to help her escape. She's living how the, her best life as she can in the conditions that she has found herself in, dreaming of something better coming someday, but not waiting for somebody to rescue her. She just has faith that life will get better. Yeah. And when she's dream, when she sings a dream is a wish, she's not particularly, she never talks about the castle or anything like that in that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That song is basically just her yeah. dreaming of a better life and believing that someday mm-hmm. a better life will come. But in the meantime, she's working with what she's got. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> You know, I, I argue about this on Twitter all the time because I see people criticize the princesses and and I always think about the, the story of Cinderella is one that seems like people aren't paying attention to whenever they criticize it because if you actually pay attention to the story, like, okay, so it, it, it's what it's basically about is a girl who has a terrible life and then she escapes that life and basically, at the end of the story, she's has a good life now. She's married to a prince, and she lives in the castle, and she escaped her terrible family. So it's basically just a story about, you know, this is something Roald Dahl does a lot in his book. It's just a story about someone who has a terrible life who ends up having a happy life. And that's a simple story. It's something that appeals to a lot of people. That's one of the reasons why it's so popular. It's like... A lot of people wish they could escape their terrible life and find a happy life. So it's it's a totally relatable. Yeah, I think that's why the story has remained popular for generations is it's a story about hope that your life, if your life is yeah. horrible, then maybe you will have a Cinderella moment where you get relief, you get help. And uh, yeah. we, we even talk about it in sports, the Cinderella story of, you know, the unlikely 
a team that, that makes it through. Right, exactly. It's so universal. I think another thing, too, is, I don't want to say it's like, this is absolutely the moral, but like, Cinderella is a very kind person. And even though it's not like explicitly said, it's almost like the moral of the story is, be kind and your life will get better. I th I think they do that more, that's more plain in the remake, but you can still see it in this one too, even though they don't explicitly say that. Yeah, it's true. They do say it in the remake of Kindness and Courage, mm -hmm. which I actually liked yeah. that, but, but uh, it was, some people I know said it was heavy handed, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I liked it. Well, I don't think there's enough movies about kind people these days, so maybe that's why people see that and mm -hmm. think, oh, it's heavy-handed. <laughs> yeah. Well, when we get to the live-action remake in this discussion, I'll, I'll, I'm going to defend it because I agree with myself. Yeah. Like, it's, a, it's a good movie, so I like, get ready. It's definitely one of the best that they, they did with the remakes, for sure. Yeah. And another thing that people always level against this is criticism i guess is that she can't do anything for herself and she has to wait for a man to rescue her and if you watch the movie it's not a man that rescues right. her it's the fairy godmother <laughs> the fairy godmother is behind this whole thing like none of this would have happened without her yeah he's just kind of a side bonus that's how i see it at least kind of yeah I, yeah i feel like the prince wasn't like as focused and it wasn't as focused in the plot as some people think he was because he was an important part of the plot i, I agree with that but it, it seems like the main point was that I, I just kept focusing on okay the cinderella like i wish he could escape this terrible life he had and like because i feel sorry for her and i have empathy for her and if what he wants just happens to be this prince then, then that's what he can pursue. But mostly the point was just whatever makes her happy, I hope she <laughs> uh, pursues it. And that was the main thing. I just was, I just wanted her to have a better life. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was the main point of the story. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I know it's technically a romance, but to me, the most important and best part about it is her escaping her awful family. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just barely a romance. It's about her. Yeah. Her escaping her, this horrible situation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> especially yeah. the, especially the animated Disney movie from 1950. That one was mm -hmm. barely a romance. Like the, the romance in that one was very shallow and very aside from the point. It was very, it was pushed to the side to mm -hmm. focus more on the slapstick comedy of the mice and the cats, really. Yeah. But, yeah, I noticed that. It was like the mice are taking up a huge chunk of screen I, time. I, yeah. <laughs> Some people criticize that movie because of that, because of how much it focuses on the Tom and Jerry antics going on. But I like that stuff because I'm a fan of Tom and Jerry and I like comedies. So I mm -hmm. didn't mind that they focused on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the scene with Lucifer and uh, Gus Gus and Jocks, maybe it is a little bit probably too long, but I still enjoy it overall. And I I think the the loyalty that the mice have to Cinderella is very sweet. I love the whole thing with them making 
her dress. And then when that it's such a lovely gesture and then when it gets destroyed, it's such a devastating moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the mice too, they're entertaining as well. Yeah. They never feel like they're overstaying their welcome. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing I totally agree with that. And the other thing is that like, it would be one thing if it felt like the, the story was put to a complete halt because they were focusing on the mice and the cats, because if that was happening, then, yeah. if that was happening, then I would think it was a bad, it was bad writing, but they didn't really do that because a lot of the stuff that the mice and the cats did was important to the plot. Like, like Rachel said, like the fact that they made the dress for her and mm-hmm. especially at the end when they stole the key and, and tried to free Cinderella from the attic, they were important uh, parts of the story. Yeah, they definitely had, their scenes definitely had a point, even though they may have been a little long for some people, they did have a point. Yeah, but yeah, one more thing I'll say about that, though, is that like a lot of times in a lot of Disney movies, that's something that happens frequently, actually. Sometimes there are moments in animated Disney movies, especially the ones during Walt Disney's era, that didn't really have anything to do with the plot. Like, like you remember that scene in Bambi when Bambi and Thumper were skating on the ice? That was sort of like, that wasn't really important part of the plot, but it was still something that Walt Disney liked to do because he likes to just focus on just character moments and getting audiences to love the characters mm-hmm. and rather than focus on moving the plot forward because he didn't think that was important. He thought that's just... And that was sort of like what was happening with the mice too. They just he just wanted you to get to know them. Like when like the mice were trying to eat outside and like the cat was like followed the mice and, and when they were trying to escape into the mouse hole, like that wasn't really important to the plot, but it was just like a good character moment and it was good to like get to know them and that was something that Walt did a lot, I noticed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's also interesting when you're talking about this film, just to think about what it meant to the studio as kind of, it was literally a Cinderella moment for the studio itself. Yeah. That they needed a hit really bad. That is so true. That is- yeah, that's kind of true. I never even thought mm-hmm. about that. Because the, the, the war films. The war films. Yeah, if you, if you follow the history of the Disney studio through the 1940s, the 40s was a really a turbulent and heartbreaking time for Walt because of the strike and because of the war cutting off the profits from his movies like Pinocchio and Fantasia and Bambi. And so they couldn't afford to like make high budget films anymore. That, which is why they made package features like fun and fancy free and melody time and stuff like that. And Cinderella was the first movie they made that was a return to form after Bambi came out in 1942 and Cinderella came out in 1950. That was the first one that was actually a full non-packaged story. And it had to be a success. Otherwise, the studio might have gone under because they were losing so much money in the 40s. So when Cinderella was a success, it literally saved the studio. Yeah, it's very similar to Little Mermaid in that that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It was similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now that I'm thinking about it, kind of like, not to the same degree probably, but Tangled and then Frozen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's almost like if Disney needs to save their studio, do a princess movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's what's so ironic, because for years, Disney thought that because of the failure of Sleeping Beauty, they thought that girls' movies didn't sell. This was an idea for years, and yet it's so ironic because time and time again when the studio needed saving what saved them was a movie for girls 
Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, is really that's interesting. So true. I, yeah, you know the you know that when Sleeping Beauty failed at the box office in 1959, the, that, after that was the longest period the studio ever went with ha- without having a princess movie. And the first time, and like you just said, the first time they got one after that was Little Mermaid, like 30 years later, and it was a hit. And just like Jonathan said, Tangled sort of revitalized the studio too after the 2000s because there was a lot of princess movies there either but and also pixar was not shining them at the box office but tangled turned it around for them so basically princesses have been saving the studio for decades <laughs> yeah well and, and with tangled princess and the frog had been a big disappointment the year before and so yeah. then they really needed kind of a, to bounce back from that it's a good thing they had Tangled on standby. Otherwise, they probably would have used Princess and the Frog the way they used Sleeping Beauty to say, oh, we can't do princess yeah. movies. They won't sell. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about the cast, because there are a few names here that I think are big names for Disney. But the, most of the people in this movie, I have no idea who they are. <laughs> like, you have Eileen Woods as Cinderella, and... I mean, I've known her name because she's Cinderella for years, but I just clicked on her IMDb page. She hardly did anything. Like, Cinderella is her the main thing that she did. <laughs> so I'm kind of surprised that she has five actress credits on IMDb, and one of them is a sing-along songs video from 95. <laughs> so really, she only has four. Wow. But I love her vocal performance in this movie, especially singing that beautiful timbre to her voice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She has an amazing voice. I'm so surprised she didn't do anything else Mm -hmm. or hardly anything else. Yeah. I mean, at that time, it's not like there were tons of other studios making animated films. I mean, there, there were a few, but if she was mainly looking for voice work, it, I don't know. I, I there, It's not like it was is today where there's, you know, 50 animated films coming out every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and also he pretty sure Walt found a lot of his voice actors for his animated movies through radio. And so that's, I think that's probably where he discovered Eileen Woods. Oh, you might be right. That might be why she has, doesn't have a lot of acting credits. She might've been a, primarily a singer or something like that, but I'm not sure. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, because IMDb doesn't have a page specifically for radio credits. Although now that I'm looking through the page more closely, there's a thing that says other works. And she had a show called the Eileen Woods Show in 1944. So I bet that's how she was famous. Yeah, she had her own show before Cinderella came out. Yeah. Yeah. I love her singing. um, Well, I love A Dream is a Wish, but then I also love uh, Sing Sweet Nightingale. I think that whole sequence is very underappreciated. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that it doesn't really go anywhere. It's not needed. And because I think sometimes we forget in today's animated films that everything is so plot heavy that we don't just have a moment to just mm-hmm. <sighs> with the character and just experience a, a breathe with the character. And that's what I appreciate so much. I love the animation of the bubbles and uh, it's, I just love mm-hmm. that sequence. I completely agree with you uh, about modern animated movies mm-hmm. being too plot heavy and and about the Sing Sweet Nightingale sequence, which is really well done. Yeah, that's some, something that anime tends to do better than Western animation is 
I feel like they have moment more moments where you just sort of get to do something kooky or fun or, or relax and breathe with the characters. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I remember having a thought of that recently about movies, not having scenes that were there just as a nice moment. And I, I don't remember what movie I was watching, but I bet it was something anime because they do have a lot of scenes like that. And you don't get very many scenes like that these days. No, that's what that's some of my favorite things about anime, and it's also some of my favorite things about Disney's old movies because, like I just said, Bambi was was basically complete, yeah, basically plotless. If you look at Bambi, that was that's the example I always go to about like about why modern animated movies are worse now. I always look at Bambi because like there's nothing going on in Bambi. It's just like a completely following and they're following the life of a deer growing up through the seasons so it's like no that no studio would green like that today yeah that's i agree well apparently disney is working on a remake so we'll see what happens <laughs> yeah, there yeah we'll see that'll be interesting <laughs> and it's really fun with the sing sweet nightingale sequence because we've just heard the stepsisters singing it uh, yes. or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i also i love the sound effect when the one yeah. clonks the other over the head with the flute <laughs> it, 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 it was a really good sound effect from this movie though. yeah when cinderella's like should we should they have any more music lessons <laughs> like, yeah. you can yeah. hear the air quotes around that i know that was really well done Another big name from this movie is Eleanor Audley as Lady Tremaine, the stepmother. And, of course, her main thing that we know her from is Cinderella, but also Sleeping Beauty. She has a much bigger IMDb page than Mm. Eileen Woods did. Yeah, she's great. I mean, so chilling. (laughs) And then I also love Verna Felton in this. She's great as the fairy godmother. Yes, I I love her. Verna Felton has range. She can she do is, it all. Like, yeah. She did villains. And she did a comforting grandmother character in The Fairy Godmother. And she could do the Queen of Hearts. Like, that is range. Yeah. Yeah. She she could be the Aunt Sarah in Lady and the Tramp. She's the worst in that. Yeah. Yeah. And the hockey elephant yeah. matriarch in Dumbo. Mm-hmm. She's the meanest one in Dumbo. She's so yeah. mean. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she just, I love her voice. She's just the cutest little grandmother. But then, like you said, she can turn it around and be Mm -hmm. awful, too. It's amazing to me that the songs turned out as well as they did in this, because they have so many cooks in the kitchen for this. They have three different people involved in the, the songs. And then they have two other people that did the score. So... It's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you're right. You would think that because there's so many people working on the soundtrack that that it might suffer or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it, this is some of the best songs Disney ever made. Yeah. The soundtrack of this movie is really great. It's so good. I love songs. Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo. Great. Yeah. And, and the people who wrote the songs in this movie have, like, experience. They had hit songs before. They were Tin Pan Alley musicians. Like, mm-hmm. And so they knew what they were doing. And I think Walt Disney knew that. Yeah. 
with the music, the one thing that I, I had forgotten about the song at the beginning, the Cinderella song. <laughs> I think that that's one that's not really remembered as much as like A Dream Is Just Your Heart Makes or Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo. Because I'd completely forgotten about it. I never hear people cover that one. Because I think most of the reason I remember some of the other ones is because I, for a while, I was like obsessed with Disney covers. Like I would get anything that Disney put out, like the Disney Mania albums, or there's like classical Disney or jazz Disney. I would get all those. I loved all those different cover albums. And so I'm very familiar with anything that was on those. That one was never covered. So it kind of... I mean, that's not the reason that it's not remembered. I mean, it's kind of just a filler song. I, don't, I mean, it's just like your introduction. I, it, yeah. I, I would, I think it would be kind of weird to see it like separated out from the movie as its own song. But I guess maybe they could have Beauty and the Beasted it. But that, that is true. But then you get stuff like today with <laughs> Don't Talk About Bruno from Encanto, which is like extremely plot heavy. <laughs> It's like, how did that, so that song catchy. such a breakout hit? <laughs> I would put actually, <laughs> Bruno, I would I, I would actually compare that more with Bibbidi-Bobbidi-Boo because both are, are plot. A lot happens in both of those songs and they're both more like poppy, more, you know, they're not like the ballads. Yeah, I uh, suppose that's true. <laughs> or like, I, I would also compare it to a song like Friend Like Me. You ain't never had a friend. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, I, yeah. I am still proud of myself because when we were leaving the theater, you can ask Stanford and Jen, my friends, we're leaving the theater. I was just seen in Canto, and I said, that Bruno song is the best song in the movie. That is going to be a hit. Yeah. And they were like, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? And it's <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Your, your instincts are so on the money. <laughs> I'm like, Disney, listen to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because that song is an, it's an earworm. It is so catchy. Yeah. Yeah. In the best possible way. You are so correct. It's uh, it's like extremely popular. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it never felt like, so in, yeah. in tune with things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I but... didn't see that coming either. <laughs> if anything, I would have guessed that Surface Pressure would have been the most popular song. That's the second best song. That one, that one was my favorite when I first saw it. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good, but... Yeah, I mean, I love the details about uh, Cinderella, like the fact that I love the whole thing with Lady Tremaine and her eyes, the green eyes. Uh, I noticed her eyes. It was like so everybody good. else has like kind of normal cartoon eyes, but hers are like bright lime green. Yeah, it's so effective. Oh, yeah. It's chilling. And I love the fact they named the cat Lucifer. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that was my introduction <laughs> to the name Lucifer was the cat from Cinderella. I didn't even know it had anything to do with the devil until years later. One of the first articles I did for Rotoscopers was on it. I first did a history of Disney owls and then I did a history of Disney cats. <laughs> it was Lucifer was on there. I didn't realize until I looked up the IMDb page, June Foray did Lucifer's voice. Oh, love her. Yes. Yes. I'm Legend. glad you pointed that out because, yes, Rocky from Rocky and Bullwinkle, like Granny all, from Looney Tunes, I love I, Witch Granny Hazel. From Looney Tunes. 
We say, yes, he is amazing. And like, you, I don't know how many people know that that's the same person did the cat from Cinderella, but it's totally her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say with with Lucifer, I liked, even though it, it, it kind of turned around at the end, I liked how Cinderella, she wasn't like an apologist for him, but like you could tell that she didn't hate Lucifer and she was trying to get Lucifer to be nice and she was trying to get people to be nice to Lucifer. Yeah, yeah. So then at the end when it when she finally kind of snapped, it was I don't want to say like satisfying, but like she finally had had yeah. enough of his <laughs> garbage. <laughs> I mean, it's a cat named Lucifer. Like it's hard to feel sorry for the cat. <laughs> I, I loved how how very cat like he was. Like you could tell that the people who animated him really studied cats or at least maybe they probably had cats of their own because you could uh, yeah. i noticed so many little things that he did that was just so very actual cat like yeah yeah i i do want to praise wood kimball specifically because he's the guy who supervised the animation of the cats and the mice mm-hmm. and he's like the walt disney's funniest animator and he did a lot of good uh visual humor with those characters yeah. I also love the design of Anastasia and Drizella, the especially mm-hmm. with their um, big bustles. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh they really did good. a good. They did a good job on the ugly of the ugly stepsisters. I have to say. Mm-hmm. I did think though that they, when they were kids, they were kind of cute <laughs> in the very first scene when they first yeah. move in. That, yeah, I, I think they're hilarious. They're great, deliciously. Evil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were good characters. And the beautiful Mary Blair uh, oh, yeah. art design is just so great. I oh, love man. all this whole era with her and her style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's all over the movie from the nineteen fifties Mary Blair style, and mm-hmm. she was excellent. Yeah. One of my favorites, this is my, I, I had it at number, uh, like number three, I think, in my most recent ranking, three or four. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't have a definitive ranking yet. I'm, I'm kind of making one as I go through my rewatch now, but this one is definitely up here for, for me. It is one of the best ones. The only thing that I don't love in this movie is I get a little tired of the King and his, I like, was just gonna say <laughs> I could use a little less of that. The King had more, more lines than the Prince. He had a bigger part yeah. than the Prince. Yeah. <laughs> it now, goes on a little too long. I, I, I loved the scene when the King was trying to kill the Grand Duke. That cracks me up. <laughs> Every time. I I don't know what you're talking about because I love them. <laughs> <laughs> the, ki- the king has a temper on him. Like, he's, he flies into a murderous rage, literally. And his yeah. face just turns bright red. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. They're, they're, they're a little bit of the same problem with the mice and the cats. It's a slapstick comedy. And, they, and, and you know, yeah. you know, this is... 
it, they focus on it a little too much. But they did the same thing a little bit with Alison Wendell and Peter Pan. You know, when when Captain Hook and the Crocodile. Remember, there was a lot of slapstick comedy in that too. They tend to focus on that <laughs> a lot. And 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 the reason why they do that, I think, is because they just think they just think audience audiences are bored by like the romantic elements and stuff. So they think that they'll be more entertained by comedy. And I think it's and, and I don't know if that's if that's fair to, or not because like I don't know if, if people maybe it would still be a perfectly fine movie without that. But but they were popular movies, so maybe there was something to that. I have a feeling that that's probably true for some audiences. And I don't, I don't necessarily hate it. I do think it could have been toned down a little bit. And it does seem kind of weird that the king is so murderous. Because <laughs> you don't get that. The, the, not, I can't think of any other Cinderella versions where the king is <laughs> trying to actively murder his help. Trying to, trying to kill some guy. <laughs> it was like a whole scene dedicated to him, trying to kill somebody. It was, but it was, it was dark, but it was funny. Well, and it's weird that uh, this era of Disney movies, they loved having scenes where characters get drunk. Like almost every Disney movie has a, uh, has a scene where characters get inebriated. So <laughs> I mean, and I if you think about a Sleeping Beauty. Was he drunk in that scene? What's that? Was he <laughs> drunk in that scene? I don't remember. And they, uh, in the Sleeping uh, Beauty with the whole scumps scene, mm-hmm. it's very similar yeah. to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They weren't drunk in Cinderella, I don't think, but they, but in Sleeping Beauty, there was. Yeah, you're right, Rachel. There was a scene in Sleeping Beauty where they got drunk, and it was like they focused on that a lot, and it was a little <laughs> uh, like <laughs> similar to the scene with the king and the grand duke. The king is kind of the same character. Yeah, yeah, kind of is. It's kind of. It's also sort of short tempered and like style. Style is very similar. Was the king in Sleeping Beauty also that obsessed with having grandchildren? Because <laughs> oh, that's yeah. like his entire his entire reason for everything that he does. He wants grandkids now. Yeah, <laughs> I do kind of like that gag of like the paintings get bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> yeah, so there's like yeah. this massive thing up the whole wall, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he just wants to have his uh, grandkids evidently. But I don't know if I would trust this crazy man with my children <laughs> no, yeah. that's true <laughs> don't let grandpa babysit without someone babysitting grandpa i also like his bed is like the largest bed it it, it really yeah. goes way yeah. high to... it's such a big bed oh my god like... <laughs> I, I don't know why he just doesn't get married again why is... <laughs> i I, yeah, I don't know. He's like, he he doesn't want to go through all the work. He wants to. That's why he had kids, probably. He's like you, you yeah. get me grandkids. You like, I you do all the work now. <laughs> that's probably true. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I do think that that part goes on a little long, but other than that, I mean, when when they're trying on the glass slipper. And then the slipper breaks. I and the, the whole scene where they're trying to get the key up to her, and uh, you know she's trying to talk to Bruno. Uh, oh, the, <laughs> yeah, that Bruno. Was the, the suspense. <laughs> that was a suspenseful scene. Maybe I need to do an article of history of Disney Brunos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah, 
And you got the missing brother. <laughs> Is there any others? Well, in a, there's a Luca, <laughs> Bruno. Luca. <laughs> don't, don't talk about I, Bruno. Silent feel Bruno. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, but that scene is is really great and very well animated, very tense. Are they going to be able to get the key up? And you see them just, yeah. uh, and then when Lucifer comes and you're like, no, no. <laughs> no, they were so close. And then Lucifer stopped them, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. Bruno, Bruno was the hero of the movie. Yes, he was. Absolutely. Get Bruno, somebody get Bruno. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And they did a nice job setting that up because in the beginning of the movie, he was talking about how like dogs should get along with cats. And he was like criticizing Bruno <laughs> for trying to, like, and then they did a complete 180 and he was like, oh, I know what to do. I'm going to call the dog. Yeah. And in the remake, some people are like, why isn't she doing more to get out like she does in the animated film? But the thing about it is that she doesn't know in the remake mm-hmm. that the prince is there. She has no idea. So uh, she's trying to stay positive and sing a song to help her feel, you know, better and be positive. But she has no idea that that the Duke is there. And also, what are you going to do when you're trapped in your room? Like how how much power do you have? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Well, especially in this one, because she's she's literally in a tower like Mm -hmm. there's no escaping. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think she's got enough sheets that she can tie together to get down to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But at least when she finds out that the that she knows that the prince is there, that's when she relies on the loyalty of her friends to help her find the key. Yeah. But the the in the remake she has no idea. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter. A lot, lot less mice and cat antics in the live action remake, which I think is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I like that they did their own thing and didn't force in the music, didn't force in the, mm-hmm. um, yes. they, yes, they the made, it, action, made it their own. The live action Cinderella didn't have any music actually. Like, so mm-hmm. that I thought, which was sort of surprising because I would think, oh, I would, you would think the Disney executive would think, oh, you have to have music. The music is everything. But like they did, like mm-hmm. Kenneth Branagh was given a lot of like creative creative license to like do his own thing and made a non-music Cinderella, which I thought was great because it was just something different. I agree. I certainly liked it much better than uh, this recent one with Camille. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. That one was so, that one was so weird because so Idina Menzel is the evil stepmother, but she's not like evil at all. She, I mean, she's mean I, at times, but, but when she finds out that Cinderella is having this, this you know relationship where she's like well you better go right out to it you can save the family you can help it i'm like what uh, 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 <laughs> she's not supposed to say I, that i didn't see that movie but i heard people criticizing it for reasons for some of the things you just said that mother yeah. is it e- evil enough and no. I, like, that was one of she the, like makes yeah. valid points <laughs> it sounds weird i haven't seen this either yet i just heard that it was horrible so i yeah. I was putting it off until i get to it for every version ever and I, I wasn't even planning on doing it for this first round of cinderella stories i just heard it was terrible yeah so <laughs> but but yeah i mean this version of cinderella it does everything you want a version of cinderella to do it has a really lovely lead character it's got great songs great fairy godmother it 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 gets to emotional spots when that dress is torn apart i think 
and yeah. uh, and she you know runs out and she says that's it you know that's the end for for her and the uh yeah. the fairy godmother mm-hmm. he says that if if they're if, if you've lost hope completely i wouldn't be here yeah we haven't yeah. really talked enough about the evil things that the stepmother and stepsisters have done the stepmother oh, yeah. I I love the way they introduce her because she's basically going into this dark, huge room, and the lighting in that in that scene is so good. the The way that yeah. the lighting is falling across her face and like, even especially like when she like does, so with the green eyes too. Yes, when she does evil things later, and like the lighting will narrow around her eyes. the The way they use light with in regards to the stepmother was so good. That was one of the best introductions of a villain ever, and she and they did a good job maintaining the threat level of that character throughout the entire movie, based largely on her introduction. Because you could, like, you could tell, like, the movie was all fun and games up until this point. Then, like, but this character is serious. She is like a force to be reckoned with, and she is mm-hmm. genuinely terrifying. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. a great villain. Yeah. Yeah. And she's terrifying in a way that she doesn't even need like Maleficent level magic to do. She's yeah. just, yeah. Just controlling personality. Controlling one person is all that she needs to be, uh, to be evil. And when C- Cinderella, when she uh, gets upset after the dress, she says, Oh no, no, it isn't true. It's just no use, no use at all. I can't believe not anymore. There's nothing left to believe in. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's just such yeah. like a devastating moment because she's been such a positive character. And I, I think that's a, a great message that you can take away from Cinderella is to when we face we face hard times, not that we need to be uh, gloss over or not take things seriously, but but there is value, I think, in being positive. And mm-hmm. and that can get us a lot a long way in life. And and then fairy godmother says nothing, my dear. Oh, now you don't really mean that. I oh, but I do. And then she says, nonsense, child. If you'd lost all your faith, I couldn't be here. And here I am. Ah, uh, yes. The fairy godmother is a is a nice metaphor for staying positive. Yeah, and it just I, again, it has. I feel like it has all of the things that you want from a Cinderella movie: the transformation of all of the objects, uh, the to create her, you know, the the carriage, the pumpkin to the carriage mm-hmm. is so good. I love the transformation of her dress. That's very mm-hmm. iconic, and oh, beautiful. Yeah. I'm not sure why in the princess princess lineup they make it blue because it's no, not blue. Yeah. It's silver. It's silver. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why they do that. Yeah, that's interesting. I never, I never thought about that, but like, it's, I did notice. Yeah, it's always blue in all the merchandise, but like, it's not blue in the movie. I never really thought of that. It's, it's, it's silver. Yeah, you're right. It's like well, it's, I think I, maybe they just like blue better. I guess. I guess apparently. Well, it's it's funny too because they they use the pink dress for Aurora because they say that's blue is Cinderella's color, but it's not even her color in the movie. So. <laughs> pink would be more Cinderella's color, anyways, because if you go by her first dress, the one that was her mother's, that was yeah. pink. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and then in Little Mermaid, they invent a dress for Ariel. She has that green dress in the Disney Princess. That's not in the movie at all. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, wasn't there's it no white one. at the end? Is white. She has her wedding dress at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And then she has a pink dress that she wears before for the dinner when she's there out with them um, when they go to dinner. Um, but uh, she never wears a green dress in all of no. Little Mermaid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Something, right something tells me that the people behind the princess lineup aren't too concerned about continuity. <laughs> there you go. They're fast Apparently. and loose with these dresses. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I don't know. There's some, you know that there's some kind of strategy behind the, like, how they color princesses. I, whether there's any legitimacy to it, I don't know. But, like, you know that thinking about it. It's like, okay, like, oh, you, we can't have aurora be blue because cinderella's blue but like but cinderella wasn't blue in the movie but we're making it blue now because i don't know maybe they think blue is more popular than silver or something i don't know there's some there's some reasoning behind all of it that's yeah complex i guess people were surprised when they made green. <laughs> people were surprised when they made not that uh elsa is in the princess lineup but people were surprised when they made her blue because that's cinderella's color but things are just uh, there's, there's only, only so stuff. many colors and exactly there are so many princesses colors. you gotta start reusing <laughs> you, you can't just run out of colors you have to you have to recycle some unless you start mixing them like they, they could give a princess like a plaid dress and another one could have a polka dot dress <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess technically <laughs> Jasmine is also blue, but it's not a dress, so maybe that's why. <laughs> yeah, See, the, yeah. The, anyway, the logic of the logic of that is so flawed. Okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there's no blue dress in Cinderella. That's always kind of funny to me. But I love the silver one; it's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And that whole the way it's animated, the transformation of the dress, I love that. Yeah, yeah. all the transformation animation. Is, mm -hmm. is really really good yeah yeah walt, walt disney that told his animators that they want he wanted them to wow him when they made the dress transformation so they so they were like trying to impress him and when they animated that and they succeeded yeah one thing that i was going to talk about going back to the stepmother and the way she controls cinderella she doesn't only she doesn't only control cinderella she knows her daughters enough that she can control them without them even knowing it. Because if you watch the scene where they tear her dress apart, they do it because of the stepmother. The stepmother <laughs> notices her beads. She knows that they're Drizella's. And she looks at them and compliments the beads and says, Don't you think so, Drizella? And that sparks Drizella's yeah. freak My out. My necklace! Yes. Yes. So the stepmother yes. can, can she she knows how to control people in general. That's one of the reasons why I think she's such a great character. She is. Uh, they do a good job. They do the same thing a little bit with Scar in The Lion King. They did a good job making her seem manipulative and mm -hmm. like in a realistic way. And mm -hmm. those are usually the most like threatening villains and like i like scar too and then and i like her for the same reason because it's like this isn't just a, a, a character with magic power like you said like maleficent this is someone who's like using psychologically like evil mm -hmm. and one one other thing that i want to talk about was like at the very end when cinderella is coming down the stairs and the evil stepmother thinks that she has won because she's 
shattered the shoe. There's no shoe for her to try on. The look on her face when Cinderella pulls out the other shoe, it just, it was priceless. I loved that scene. It was satisfying. It was like they defeated her. Yes. Well, I think that's probably all we have to say about Cinderella. Would you guys like to let people know where they can find you? Rachel? Yeah, you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. And also, I have the Talking Disney Classics podcast that I do with my friend Stanford every month. We finished covering the whole canon, so now we're talking with creators about their Disney canon ranking. And we've been doing that for the last three months and really been enjoying it. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I cover a lot of animation on my content, a lot of Disney, so check it out. And Eli? Yeah, I'm at edunkey2014 on Twitter. That's where I am most of the time. And I also have a blog called edunkeyblog.com. That's the website you go to find it. And I've actually written an article about Disney Cinderella before on there, so you can read that if you want to hear more of my thoughts about that. But I also just talk about the history of like entertainment in general a lot on that blog. So I'll send you the link to it if you find me on Twitter. Okay. And... We will be back soon. We're going to be talking about the 2015 Cinderella remake in the next episode. So we'll see you then. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to this episode of the Disney Movie Marathon. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform or to the iHeartMovies YouTube channel. Make sure to follow my co-hosts as well. Any relevant links will be in the description for easy access. We'll be back soon with another brand new episode, so thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.